Well, just me and him. Uh, we kind of had a rough <laughs> week. Um, I guess my, I'm still growing as my voice is getting deeper. I guess I'm still in puberty or something, but um, it's been a kind of a rough stretch. Um, but God is good, and we get to praise Him today with our kind of husky voice or whatever they call it, but um, it is so good to see you. Um, I don't know if you're familiar in the news, but uh, this, this past week in Japan, it was a, a holiday. It was a week-long holiday because they celebrated or began a new era in Japan, uh, and uh, it had a week-long holiday that people celebrated because there was an enthronement of a new emperor. Um, Naruhito is the name, and uh, and, and usually that succession takes place when the previous emperor dies, but this time of all age, uh, you know, it, they were transferred of the enthronement. So now there's a new emperor, which represents a new era in Japan, and people celebrate. It's called the Reiwa period now. And uh, so and now the Japanese people, they celebrated this era, you know, looking forward to all that's going to come in the new, this, this future. So um, there's a lot of celebration going on, people starting new business on May 1st because of the new era, and there's a lot going on. Um, so, uh, but in the same way, we want to think about this, but in the same way, when we believe in Jesus, when we accept Him and, and welcome Him as, as, as our Savior and Lord, He is enthroned into our hearts, right? He becomes the, not the emperor, but the king of our hearts. And the way we think, the way we live, we no longer live in the past, but live in a new era. And we, because of, of our new king, enthroned in our lives, that we are the ones who get to proclaim the kingdom of God because he is the king. So as followers, followers of Christ, um, Jesus told and shared with his people, be go and proclaim the kingdom. And today we're going to look at the passage in Luke, because we've arrived to chapter 9 now in our journey. But he, he is teaching his disciples to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. It has come in this gospel message to the world. And this is the same mission that we have also given from Jesus Christ himself. So let us open our Bibles and our hearts to chapter 9 of Luke. And uh, so a lot of those things that we're going to read will be up on the screen. But if you have a physical Bible that you want to open to, we are looking at chapter 9 of Luke from verse 1 and forward. But just to kind of give you a context, you know, Luke uh, it provides this life account of Jesus. It's called the gospel. And up to chapter 8, as we've been going through, we discover that Jesus is teaching them and, and showing them example of how to live their lives um, and, and as a disciple of Christ. And he's teaching them kind of hands-on. This is how you preach. This is how you teach people about the kingdom of God. This is how you uh, pray for people. It says Jesus is giving them an example um, and that's up to chapter 8. But now in chapter 9, we become, we see a change taking place. And the change is that now they are being sent out. With all the training, with all the explanation, and all the knowing of the examples, now they're being, it's, it's the real deal now. They're going to go being sent out. 
And I'm not sure if you know about my uh, past, but um, after graduating Vanguard University, um, and I, I was going to Orange Coast, I went to Japan, and I was working for a company, and that company was a staffing agency. And it was a company where we employ people at our company, and we send, we deploy people into different companies with different jobs. And that's what I did for about three years in Japan, sending workers into different companies. And kind of like what Jesus is doing right now in chapter 9, verse 1, is he's explaining what this job description, what this apostle or this sent life is all about. And now um, I would meet with these, these people that are working for our company. They're being sent out, and I explain them, and I train them, and carefully go through what they need for their new job and and. Uh, what kind of things they should be aware of. So Jesus is actually doing that. So when you look at verse 1, we find that Jesus has kind of done his training because he's shown them example. Now in verse 1, we're going to look at it right here. Jesus is sending them to, uh, to this 12, and, and then he's giving him what they need. Just like what I would do with my workers, I give them what they need. They need, you know, um, if it was a, a construction work, and you make sure they have the right attires and or they have the steel toe shoes or if they're going to a different uh, office work do they have uh, knowledge in the excel or do they have uh, you know different computer and mechanics and all that we we make sure they they have everything that they need and Jesus has given them everything they need and what were they they were this the power and authority to drive out all demons and cure disease. Jesus is giving, what was his? He given him to the disciples so that they could represent Jesus in the different areas that now they're being sent out to. And now, what is the purpose? Because when I'm working and when I'm meeting and interviewing these and explaining with me, the workers, I have to kind of give them what's the purpose of this job. And now what is the purpose of Jesus deploying or sending these people? That's found in verse 2. It says that he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So these two things, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal, that was the purpose of them being sent out. And now it's interesting. We're going to look at verse 3 through 5. And this is where Jesus describes the precautions of what this job or what this role or this deployment is all about. And it's actually pertaining to this particular occasion because later on we find Jesus sharing uh, to the disciples different descriptions or precautions. But in this case, we look at verse 3. He says, so what were they to take? They were to take nothing. Packing light is an understatement. They're like, don't take anything. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. I mean, they can't bring anything. Not even, not even a change of clothes. I mean, that's kind of weird. But he also says in verse 4, stay at one house and stay there until you're done. Before, until you leave the house. And verse 5 is even more bizarre. It says, when somebody don't accept you, then go, leave. And when you leave the town, make sure you, you wipe the dust off of the shoes or your sandals. I mean, this is kind of strange. Why is Jesus teaching and telling them these things? Well, we got to kind of give, you know, share a little bit of background of what's going on. 
was at that time, there's a lot of false prophets. There's a lot of people who were going to town to town, you know, proclaiming bogus message. And people would listen because they never heard anything. And they just kind of give them money. And the, the money is not being used wisely. It was used to kind of give them a lavish lifestyle to these false prophets. And that, that was going on in that town. And Jesus wanted to differentiate his disciples, his sent apostles from these, these people that are abusing their their power. So they want to make sure that you're not going out to have a luxury lifestyle, so you don't need anything. Make sure you live a, um, a life with them and don't, 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 don't take advantage of anybody. And that's the background, but also the biggest point that Jesus is trying to make with these precautions is that God will take care of you. This is also Jesus still kind of teaching them what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be sent ones? And Jesus is trying to teach them that when you fulfill uh, Jesus, God's promise, um, and, and His mission, when you are going to His mission, then God will take care of you. He will provide all the needs. And that's what Jesus wanted to teach them. So take nothing with you, just the bare, bare minimum. But you have to trust in God. And you have to stay in one place. So make sure, you know, you have a relationship with them. But rest of that, God will take care. And then, it's interesting because that particular uh, story became a testimony later on in Luke. Because we find in chapter 22 of Luke, verse 35, if you want to, uh, you don't have to open it right now, but maybe you can look at it later on. Chapter 22, 35 says, they were reflecting upon their first appointment. And they were like, did, did you guys lack anything? And they looked around each other. We lack nothing. What a praise. What a testimony. And that's something that we could take home. That when God sends you out to do something, He will take care of all the needs. If you're planning for a mission trip, if you're, if you're going to places that you might not sure if you're going to be taken care of, well, if that is from God and if that is what God is sending you, for sure He will take care of that. And then it says shaking off the dust. What does that mean? Well, he, Jesus is trying to teach the disciples that the rejection may take place. Not everybody would accept. So in that case, you have to kind of work accordingly. But then there's also a cultural background in dusting, you know, putting the dust off of your feet is that when a, and a Jew going to a Gentile town, you know, that's what they would do, that they would, you know, put the dust back into their land and then Jew would go in their way. But it's kind of a prophetic thing here because these disciples, they were Jew, and then they're going to Jewish towns and cities to proclaim the gospel, proclaim the kingdom of God. And it's prophetic because later on, Jews are the ones who reject Jesus. And there are, the, there are people in like Jewish towns that will not accept Jesus. So it's kind of foreshadowing of what's going to happen because later on we know that Jesus was rejected and, and put on the cross because Jewish people rejected him as their savior. Now, when you look at verse 6 of Luke chapter 9, we find out that they went out to these village to village. They're doing exactly what Jesus has taught them to do, and then they proclaim the good news, and they healed people everywhere, it says. And then we're going to jump to verse 10, but then that's when Jesus asked them how to go. Apostles returned, and they began share with Jesus what took place. We don't know how long they were out there, but they came back and they kind of share with Jesus. They report back to Jesus what took place. And now we're entering into uh, verse 11 and then on to the end. 
And it is a very well-known story of the loaf of bread and the fish. You probably heard this before, but maybe it's the first time you hear about this. So I'm going to explain to you. This is a very, very important miracle that Jesus uh, allowed or, or took place in his life. Because, you know, there's four Gospels, four life accounts of Jesus. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there are many stories that are pertaining to only John or, or maybe only Mark and Matthew and Luke have it, but not John. But this miracle is featured in all four Gospels. So we know that this is something that people talked about. This is something that was very, very important to all four of these Gospel writers. So they included that. And the only other miracle that is in all four gospel, do you know what that is? Is a resurrection story. So this is like really, really important. And now we get to revisit this. Some of you know this already, but let's look at this again in a brand new light. Jesus, at that time, he, he kind of, he, he might be a little bit tired. He needed to take some time away. So he was going to go to Bethsaida and maybe relax a little bit because he's been teaching and healing all day long. So he was going to this kind of, you know, going, to, going away for maybe a day or two. But that's when the crowd saw Jesus. And like, no, no, we got to all see Jesus. So everybody gathered and crowded around Jesus again. So what did Jesus do? Did, did he's like, was he like, oh, come on, man, would you leave me alone? Let me get away. No, he didn't do that. He, again, smiled and welcomed everybody. That's our Jesus. He welcomed everybody. He never rejected anybody that came to him. And now Jesus is teaching them again of what, it's, what is this kingdom of God? What does that look like? What is that supposed to be? And, and then he healed many. And that's what Jesus did here in Bethsaida. They were in a remote area because many people gathered, so they needed a wide enough space to accommodate everybody, but it was getting late during the day. People were getting hungry, and the disciples got worried because it's kind of getting dark. Jesus, what are we going to do? So they suggested to Jesus, let's take them, send them away to this, to, you know, two different lodges so they have the place to stay and they make sure they could eat. Maybe you could come, they could come back tomorrow morning and do the same thing again, but Jesus turned to the disciples. He says, they're hungry, then you go feed them. <laughs> Get them something to eat. And the disciples were like, what? We don't have money for that. Look how many people there are. There are at least 5,000 men, which means there's women and children included. So most likely, there are about 10,000 plus people. And disciples, of course, they're like, how are we going to feed them? We have not much money. In, in fact, where are we going to go to get that food? And then this miracle took Place. Something very, very amazing take, took place. We got to jump to John's account because Luke does not feature this particular piece. So when you look at John 6, 9, this is what we found. Can we read this together? Let's go. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Of course, what do we, yes, it's, it's, it's nice, but it's not going to feed everybody, right? I mean, that's a logical mindset. But then Jesus took that, says, well, all right, there are 5,000 men, hungry men, women, children, 10,000 people. How are you going to do? But Jesus orders the disciples to make them sit in group of 50, 50, 50, and all over. 
How many is that, Jenny? 50, 50, I'm sorry, sorry. You know, I don't know how many groups, but so we're not going to count that today. But so um, Jenny is our math professor, and we have another math professor, so we are a mathematic group here. Uh, anyways, um, you know, look at verse 16. This is what it says. This is what Jesus did. He taking the lo- five loaves, this barley loaves, two fish, looking up to the sky, he gave thanks, and he broke them. And then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. And look, what do, you, what, what do we find? These bread and fish being multiplied. And they were all full. These 10,000 plus people were all full. Can you imagine that? But the beautiful thing is there's 12 loaves, or sorry, 12 basketful of the bread that was the leftovers. I don't like the word leftovers. Orange Coast uses the word overflow, right? So there's 12 overflowing baskets of the overflow of God's blessing. I mean, just imagine that, right? Now, something that is very important to note, that this miracle took place in the hands of the disciples. Jesus gave them, and the multiplication took place in the hands of the disciples. It's nothing strange now because, remember, they were given authority. Jesus' power it, it was given to the disciples. So, of course, God's going to use that to multiply, right? But what we need to remember is, do you, re- do you believe that that power, the same power, same authority is in your hands as well? As you go and proclaim the kingdom of God, do you realize that you are being sent out? That means God will provide, but also you have power in your hands because Jesus has given it to you. Do you believe that? You look like you don't like, you don't believe that. See, that's the reality that we have to really be reminded that, that we, we cannot forget that, that the same authority that was given to the disciples, when you follow Jesus, that is the same power that we are responsible of as well. But the second important thing that we need to know is this boy this passerby boy and his lunch or maybe his dinner, I don't know what it is, but it was something that he had and it triggered something amazing. Why this boy? And there's no like theological degree needed to answer that question because he was there. He was right there. And that's really important, that he was there when Jesus needed him. He was there to listen to Jesus. And he was close by. If he wasn't curious, then he would have been out there. I mean, if he was way out there in the crowd, then he would have noticed this scene. But because this boy was right there, Jesus used him. And then, whatever he had, when the need came up, he says, please use my lunch. He gave it right away without any hesitation, holding, not holding back nothing, right? And, and you know, what, what is this about this childlike faith that we need to remember, we need to learn? It's because, you know, we're adults, right? And, and sometimes we're kind of embarrassed of what we have. And if barley breads were, you know, barley, it wasn't, you know, a rich man's food or anything like that. It was a very ordinary thing. And sometimes... You don't want to show that to people, right? 
I mean, me with my Japanese-ness, you know, it's like, oh, uh, that's, that's not for anybody to show me, show, you know, see. I mean, it's like, no, my, my, my mom will pack this, but it's like for me, you know, I can't show this to anybody because it's like, it's a leftover food from my house. You know, it's, you're kind of, as, as an adult, we think too much and we overcomplicate things. And when, when even God's asking for something, we're like, no, this is not good enough. We kind of put it in our back pocket. And we don't want to let anybody see it. But this childlike faith is something that we could learn because he didn't hide anything. He didn't hold back anything. And he was at the right place at the right time. And that's very important. But also, he gave all that he had without any hesitation. And that's how this boy became a contributor to the second most famous miracle in all Bible, right? That's how he was used. And imagine this. I mean, the boy, he's like, Jesus used my lunch. And he multiplied it. And he fed 10,000 people plus and he was so excited that Jesus used his lunch, right? And I know for sure this boy went and proclaimed the kingdom of God to everyone he met, excited that he was used by God. How about you? What about your life? Are you in a good position? Are you positioned in a right place for God to use you? Because if you're not, if you're far away from God, if your life is full of sin, if your life is not, not unre, you know, unrepenting, if your life is, is with the wrong crowd, then God, no matter how much he wants to use you, he can't because you're not at the right place. And also, what is the small thing that you can offer so that God can multiply? I mean, just look at this chair. You know, when one person bought this for $48. It's an Adopt-A-Chair campaign. But collectively, this room is filled with that now because it was just one small thing for one of us. But when we collectively work towards this goal, then it's filling up this room. But that's not the point, actually. It is the point of people who get to sit in this seat time and time after again, years and years later, and they will hear the gospel message of Jesus and their lives will be transformed. Maybe they will come to the Lord and maybe they say, I want to be served by you, God. And they go out into the world and make a difference. I mean, what you could do that could be so small as this one chair could, make a, it could multiply in God's hands or in God's power and it could bless many. Or maybe it's just a phone call that you give. To call someone and says, how are you doing? That might change. That one little 10-minute phone call could change someone's life because it would encourage them. I know this story that the, the one, one pastor went and visited this, this person out of the blue, just almost forgotten, but he went and he knocked the door. Just one visit, one five-minute visit, he went in or he knocked the door. The door didn't answer, but he waited long enough. And, and, and the person inside came out, opened the door with a gun in her hand. She was right about to kill herself, but the, the, the doorbell rang. One visit could change someone's life. One phone call, one note of encouragement, one little thing can make an eternal and a huge impact in, with God's power. See, it's not about what we could offer, but it's about God who could multiply that and bless 
others. And that's what we are after. What, so we, can't, we shouldn't hold back anything. We shouldn't be embarrassed about anything. And God looks at us and, and, and says, he's the sender. We are the sent ones. He's sending us to wherever you are being sent to. And God's going to use you to, and, and bless others. Maybe it's not much, but it is God who's going to bless that. And what God is looking for is your willingness, your best at that particular moment. Whatever you have, whatever the lunch bag that you have in you, that's what he wants. Think about what took place yesterday at Life on the Streets. Lots. We fed the homeless people three hours Saturday morning. And, 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 and that, but collectively with the church, we had about 20, close to 20 people from Orange Coast went. And it fed multiple 80 plus people. How was, what was the count yesterday? 60 people. So I kind of added too much. Sorry. But you know, 60 plus, that's 60 plus 20 is 80, so I guess that's okay. But you know, you know, that three hour, that one Saturday might be just a little thing, but as we continue to partner with other churches and go there every single week, not us, we only represent once every quarter, that's it, but we get to be part of this wider movement and that changes people. It's touched over 700 people. It has helped people get a job. It has helped people reunite with their family. I mean, that, maybe for us, this is one Saturday, three hours, but it can multiply in God's strength and God's power. And it has an amazing impact. And we are being sent by God. But you know who was sent to us 2,000 years ago? It was Jesus Christ. He was the sent one from the, from, he was the first agent that came from the kingdom of God and showed us the way. He gave everything that he had so that we know what to do. And after the resurrection, after the cross and the resurrection, he gave the same message to his disciples, just like he shared in today's passage. We're going to look at Mark 16, and we're going to read this together up on the screen. Here we go. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That was weak. Come on, say that again. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So where are we to go? To the world world is everywhere, your neighborhood, but across the globe, that's the world. We, we got to remember that that's where we're going to do what? To proclaim the gospel, proclaim the kingdom of God. To who? To all creation. No one excluded. We're being sent into the world, but please know that you're not of the world. Where do you belong to? You belong to the kingdom of God. And now ask yourself, where is this kingdom of God? It's in you. It's in us. Do you know that? How do you know that? How can we find out that the kingdom of God is alive in us? How do we know? It's really easy. You just got to make sure Jesus is king, enthroned in your heart. If Jesus is the, at the center throne of your heart, nothing else then you know that the kingdom reigns in your heart, in your life. If you never welcomed Jesus into your life, if you never thought that that was important to you, but you feel like, I want the kingdom of God in my heart, you could accept him today, right now, 
And we, in, in that life, could change. For the rest of us, for the followers of Jesus, please be sure that he is on the throne. Not anything else. Not addiction. Not other person. Not yourself. But Jesus in the throne of your heart. And today we have communion. For 2,000 years, Christians use this time to be sure that Jesus is enthroned in, your lot, in their hearts. That's what they did. They took communion to make sure and, and, and examine their hearts, to make sure nothing else is, is, is sitting at the throne of their hearts. Kingdom of God is here and is in you. And God wants to proclaim the kingdom through you, partnering with you, you, he wants your participation, like the disciples, like that, that boy that gave everything he had. Not sure why he chose me, but he gave the same power and authority to us. And more than anything, he's given us his word, this Bible, and we have that in us. And now we're being sent out, church, into the world. Jesus wants to use me to proclaim the good news? Yes. Absolutely. It has to be you. It has to be me. Who else? Because, because there are people in our family that only in your family that only you could share the Jesus message. Your spouse, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your relatives. Who else? They're not doing it. It's you. He, God wants to partner with you to proclaim the kingdom of God. And through you, people would see that there's actually kingdom of God existing in this person. It don't, does it, don't you want that to be you? How about your work? Maybe your network, your relationship. There are people that nobody else would ever share Jesus to them. It's you. And with, 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 with your unique passion that God has given you, God wants to send you with that passion to reach. And when I think of that, I think of Pastor Jenny. Because she has this passion for math. She also has the passion for the marginalized and people in prison. So she goes to prison, not just in the United States, but in Uganda, across the world. And through teaching math, she gets to also proclaim the kingdom of God. What is your unique passion that God has given you? God wants to use that to proclaim the kingdom of God elsewhere, maybe close by. You don't know where God is sending us, but we know that he is sending us. So what is keeping us proclaiming that kingdom of God? I think I know the answer. I think that's the fear of rejection. You know, we, we are scared to be rejected. You know, after one or two tries of sharing Jesus, and if they're like, yeah, what is that? Get away from me. You're weird. No, I've already heard that. I don't want to hear it again. No, you're, you're offending me. And when we hear that, we shrivel up with fear. Like, oh, wait, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I'm not good at this. Maybe I'll let other person do it. Maybe I'll, I, I, and then, but please, don't be discouraged. There's a study that shows that one and 25 people will believe in Jesus when they first hear that gospel. Just one in 25. Therefore, it takes 24 no's to get one yes. You realize that? And each rejection is meaningful because they are all important people. They're 20, all 25 are important souls to God. 
So please don't just be discouraged. Just keep telling them. Just make sure. And then maybe one day they will hear that. They will accept that. All them, all 25 of them, they need to hear that the kingdom of God is here. If you want 25 yes, yeses, then go proclaim to 620 people, 25 people, sorry. 25 times 25. Yeah, good. All right. All right. Let us not give up no matter how many times we are rejected. So which means if you want 25 yes, there's going to be 600 no's. Good? Good. All right. All right. All right. No matter how much you rejected Jesus, Jesus never gave up on you, never gave up on loving you. So let us not give up on proclaiming the kingdom of God. Orange Coast, may we continue to go proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus who's risen and alive today is with you always. Amen? Amen. Let's look at our weekly challenge. So would you read, go ahead and take out your phones, take a picture, we'll send it to you also on Tuesday. Uh, no, please read once again Luke 9, 1 through 17. What is God trying to teach you today when you read that word? Grow like that boy that appears in John, I'm sorry, uh, John 6, 9. Um, are you in a good position for God to use you? What is something that you could offer? The little things that will bless others and then overflow sorry were you able are you able to change the verse before people take a picture john chapter 6 verse 9 so you could take a picture again because when you look at chapter 6 verse 6 9 verse 6 you're like huh so all right so are we able to do that all right, well, yes, whoa, magic. All right, cool, overflow. If Is Jesus the king of your heart? We gotta be, he has to be there. And who are the people you wanna go proclaim the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus with? Would you take one step in that direction this week? Let's pray. God, with our uh, physical ailments and different heart conditions we come to you um, needing a savior um, needing a friend in you Jesus would you give me and all of us the encouragement to proclaim go and proclaim the kingdom of God but if the kingdom of God is not fully alive in our hearts how can we go so before we go Make sure, help us to know that you must be the king in our heart. At the center, at the throne, enthroned. Because of that, we get to celebrate this new era with you, this new, brand new life with you. And we have a, a sure hope of future, hope of heaven. And with that, may we go through some rejections but knowing that, Jesus, you're with me. But we want to be passionate about proclaiming the kingdom of God because it has passionately changed our lives. So we want to go with your encouragement today. 
Help us to overcome the fear of rejection by knowing that perfect love will cast out all fears. We are with you. You are with us. We thank you in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Let's continue to worship, shall we? So today, <laughs> we continue to worship in our communion. So we've asked Pastor Carl and Pat to lead us in that time. So uh, would you welcome them? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you drink this bread, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Here at Orange Coast Church, we have an open communion table. That means that everyone is welcome to participate. However, I would also tell you according to the script the scripture that it says we ought to examine ourselves that means that um, if you have never committed your life to Christ then we would ask you to refrain from participating there was a man that came to this church for I think it was actually several years in the beginning of the church uh, back in those days we were much smaller and I would pass the elements going from person to person. Um, in the early days, we were just a small circle of people. And after that, we had a few more people, but I personally would take the elements and pass them around the room. And this one particular gentleman, uh, because I had given that instruction, uh, always just waved me off, and I would skip over him and go to the next person. I did this uh, every time we had communion. One Sunday, he, I was going to pass him by, and he put out his hand, and he uh, stopped me, and he took the bread, he took the cup, and he looked me at the eye, in the eye, and he smiled. He was indicating that he had given his life to Christ. So if you're here today 
and you haven't made that commitment to Christ, you know what? You can examine your own heart right now. And you can pray. And you can ask the Lord to come into your life. Otherwise, I think it'd be really good to use this time to examine your heart. Just come before the Lord and just like that little boy in the scripture today, he brought what he had. And God used it. So, what do you have in your hands? What are you going to give to the Lord? He will do the multiplying. Not us. He will do that. So let's use this time to examine ourselves, to ask the Lord to touch us, to teach us, and to multiply what he wants in our lives. So you're welcome to come. I think uh, what we'll do is have you come down this aisle as well as this aisle. Those that come down this aisle can go back that aisle, and those who come down this aisle can go back on the outside. I've asked um, Pastor Toby and Pastor Jenny to assist me here on this side. We will uh, well, we'll serve you, and then after everyone has been served, we will serve each other then my wife will help me on this side. Um, it says in the scripture here that Jesus took the bread and the cup. He said that this bread is a symbol of my body, which is broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this cup is my blood. It's a symbol of my blood, which was shed for you. This is a wonderful time for us to worship. Let's worship the Lord now as we participate in the Lord's table. You can come when you are ready. <laughs>